0: Hello lovelies. Okay, we are still working on answering the question, what is with all these crazy alignments of the pyramid? And for that matter, all the geometry and alignments of many of the great temples of ancient Egypt and other ancient sites. So, as Robert Baval said, why did they go to so much trouble? What were they up to? Now, before we get onto this, I want to segue and I want to touch on my materialistic prison paradigm thing again, because I had an outrageous discussion the other day, which kind of blew my mind. I have not been on Clubhouse for months now, but was waiting for something the other day and thought I'd kill a few minutes. And so I logged in. And as soon as I logged in, there was a discussion on science versus pseudoscience. And I was excited. Finally, I have something to talk about where I won't sound like an idiot. (laughs) Methinks. Mm, Anyway. (laughs) Oh, Lord. So anyway, I jumped in and said, well, I bragged really, as I was trying to give myself some social proof that I had discussed this very topic with Rupert Sheldrake at his home. And he defined pseudoscience in this way. That science works within paradigms, and that these paradigms determine how scientific disciplines view the world. That science today is dominated by the materialistic theory of nature and consciousness. So, for example, the very fact that we are conscious is problematic because we ought not to be according to our paradigm. So, phenomena like telepathy and precognition ought not to happen according to materialism, yet they do. And so, this evidence is embarrassing and it would overthrow the paradigm if true. So, it's pushed under the carpet, it's all discredited and classified as pseudoscience. Whoa, that's a mouthful. So, pseudoscience can be science that does not fit within our paradigm. And you know what happened? They said, But yeah, astrology can be perceived as believable because our brains are hardwired to look for patterns. So, sometimes when unrelated random events happen, our mind tries to see a connection. And this is otherwise known as subjective validation or attaching personal meaning so that random events can be perceived to be related. For example... You read a horoscope and it says something will happen to you. And whenever something related happens, you attribute it to the horoscope you read previously. So it's not all real. It's just your perception. Now, why they went from Sheldrake to astrology was beyond me, but they seem to be hung up on it, and it is a good example, so let's look at it. When you look up debunking astrology on Wikipedia, they say, and I quote, there is no scientific validity and is thus regarded as pseudoscience. Now, another article pointed out that astrology doesn't have a verifiable mechanism which is exactly what I said last episode. But let us qualify these. There is no scientific validity, and it does not have a verifiable mechanism within our current paradigm. So pseudoscience can be pseudoscience because it does not fit within the materialistic paradigm. If we were to expand our paradigm, it might become science. Astrology might become science. And magic for that matter. Anyway, back to Clubhouse. I realize how crazy it would sound if I got into the whole <laughs> cosmic intelligences and treat planets like people thing. So I want to commend you for sticking with me through this. And as a reward, I'm going to give you a real treat. I'm going to read you some Schwala Dulubich because Shwala is too hard to read yourself. <laughs> Oh, well, at least that's my excuse. And it speaks to this dilemma. Okay, he's talking here about us trying to understand essentially ancient Egyptian science. Quote, The enigma does not lie in the thing itself, but is the result of our understanding, our faculties and intelligence, which are not attuned to the mentality according to which the idea was expressed. And it is just this that our present education prevents us from admitting. However, there is a type of education that, using the vital organs in which the nervous flux is transformed, as well as the centers or nodes of this flux, can awaken consciousness of states that precede and transcend material forms. The West has no terminology for this science, and thus we must have recourse to the Oriental languages, but the words alone are useless without the concepts. Ancient Egypt is in fact one of the major sources of these sciences. However, a true vocabulary of the pharaonic language, or even a provisional one, will never be possible unless attention is given to those questions which we define as psycho-spiritual. Rationalism is based on the data provided by the senses, and the senses perceive only a meagre part of what is. Thus, through rationalism alone, we can know only what is encountered through the senses, what is ponderable, quantitative. Yet mathematics have demonstrated the existence of elements that fall outside the physical. We must take this into account. And if rationalism brings us up against an impenetrable wall in so doing, it in fact teaches us that it has its limits and that we should seek another means of knowledge. How good is that? This is from the temple in man. His smaller book, not the huge two-volume tone, (laughs) The Temple of Man. But both are a delight to behold. Okay, so let's push the limits, shall we? Well, not us per se, but some materialistic scientists have indeed just done that. And so I bring you the brilliant Thomas Joseph Brown. Thomas Joseph Brown, (laughs) affectionately known as Tom the Wizard, is a researcher in spiritual science and metaphysics. He says he's just another human questioning reality and our place in it. His main interest is comprehending the archetypal structures of metaphysical and scientific systems of both Occident and Orient seeking common forms and functions. One's ever-evolving spiritual proprioception in the midst of the matrix is that a word? Proprioception. (laughs) Lord, you learn something new every day, right? Let me look it up. Proprioception, otherwise known as kinesthesia, is your body's ability to sense movement, action, and location. Mm, Interesting. Okay. Spiritual proprioception. Okay. I love it. All right. Now that makes sense. So today I'm going to play a segment of his talk Uh, from the Magical Egypt Symposium that demonstrates the scientific validity of cosmic influences, even if they do not have a verifiable mechanism within our current paradigm. Now, he does have pictures in this talk, so you are going to have to use your imagination.
1: Let's look at stars, panpsychism. This is Greg Matlow's work. So, and the his form of panpsychism con- concedes that the universe is in some sense conscious and that a portion of stellar motion is volitional as an alternative to dark matter. And he raises the concepts in Star Maker, Ola Stapleton's great book. So a universal proto-consciousness field congruent with vacuum fluctuations could interact with molecules via the contribution of the Casimir effect to molecular bonds. Spectral signatures of cooler stars, such as the sun, reveal the presence of simple molecules. Cooler stars move somewhat faster around the galactic center than their hotter sisters. This velocity difference, called Perinago's discontinuity, occurs in the stellar temperature distribution where molecular spectral lines become apparent. And psychism can possibly emerge from philosophy to become a subdivision of observational astrophysics. So what he's saying is basically, when the stars start manufacturing heavier elements, then they start moving differently, that they start connecting to this proto-consciousness field. Alexander Djejewski, father of heliobiology, so he researched the impact of variations of solar activity and dependent geomagnetic oscillations on epidemic diseases, mortality rates, and human mental conditions. Suggested mass changes of mind and populations are triggered by changes in solar magnetism manifesting as upheavals, revolts, wars, and revolutions, as well as events such as epidemics, infestations, and accidents. More than three-quarters of all instances of human unrest, including the Russian Revolution of 1917, had occurred during a solar maximum. Our dependence upon the cosmic pulse of the sun might be mediated by ions or excess changes in the air. So this leads on some very interesting research. You know, here we have um, historic statistical solar activity, you know, acts as accelerator and moderator on the whole biosphere. He showed frequency and magnitude of population growth and decline, birth and death rates, harvest, heart attacks, and crashes, death trees suicides. So, they're all a reaction of the planet to the electromagnetic corona of the sun. And now uh, Chujescu, he studied data from 72 countries from 600 BC onwards.
0: Because this correlated all to astrology as well? Or is this just the sun and the ionization? I mean, is there any relationship issue aspects or planetary aspects as well?
1: It has to be directly related because okay. uh, even RCA was doing radio astronomy in like the 50s. John, what was his name? I can't think of the guy's name right off, but he did a lot of papers on radio, radio astronomy, really, radio astrology, because then they could predict, of course, this was heliocentric really geocentric, pretty much, because they were looking at what effects the planets might have on the sun to create, you know, sunspot activity, things like that, which would create radio propagation, because they had to deal with you know the global shortwave broadcast systems. So yeah, they were very much interested in it. And of course, it can be directly tied in. And we'll see some other things as we go along, which will further confirm this line of thought. Here we see sort of the relationship of floral and faunal growth to years of sunspot maxima and minima. It's quite interesting to see the inverse relationship between them. This is out of an old book on the Sun by a man named Stetson. I've scanned these years ago. I've been looking for the book again. And on the right is actually from uh, George Lukoski's work on, who developed the multiple-wave oscillator, you know, a lot of electrotherapeutic, but he was very much interested in cosmic energies and Earth energies. And, and here, they were basically mapping out the qualities of wines against, um, you know, the fine wines were during the peaks of uh, sunspot maxima. So, Clearly, this stuff's integrated totally into the biological cycles, you know, and human activity, so we're connected in. And this is from the Soviet heliobiology work, is outgrowth of Dziyevsky's work. And we'll see upper right, dynamics of morbidity with scarlet fever in Leningrad and curve of solar activity. Well, there you go, Um, viral diseases. So the next one over to the right, more. Dynamics of morbidity with polio in Japan and varieties of planetary index of magnetic disturbance. So it's not just the solar activity, but it's also its reaction on the Earth, right? And then lower left, number of deaths, the cholera, you know, and mean curve of wolf numbers for same year. So wolf numbers is sunspot count. So the sunspot count is naturally related to the solar activity, you know, the flares. And then we see morbidity with scarlet fever in different geographic latitudes. So it depends on where on Earth you are, how, how the energies are coming in. So, and what, so what's interesting, I mean, there's a pretty direct correlation here. Ultraviolet wavelengths are from 10 nanometers to 400 nanometers. So most viruses vary in diameter from 20 nanometers to 400 nanometers. So basically, when the sun's flaring in the extreme ultraviolet, people are getting viruses. And, you know, we got more viruses in our body than bacteria. Viruses are essential to human propagation. Uh, the fertilized egg can't stick to the womb wall without a specific retrovirus in the system, and, and all that junk DNA is virus, ancient virus stuff. Professor Louis Villarreal up at the viral department, at UC Irvine, he's doing some fantastic work along these lines. But um, yeah, so what happens is when you know the flare changes if our system's out of uh, shape, then potentially, you know. What's in our system changes to a pleomorphic form. So these direct effects of the solar flares on, you know, life and death rates within. John Eddy, solar astronomer, expert in the history of solar processes, right? So in historical times, sun underwent extended periods of missing spots. We call anomalous magnetic respite. The sun during its 11-year cycles affects mental processes, and long-term drastic changes could give rise to even more marked oscillations of mental life on Earth. First of cultural activity in its broadest sense might be expected in independent societies. The strongest changes in cultural history occurred during the so-called Bounder Minimum around AD 1645 to 1750 when solar activity was essentially switched off. 1600s to 1700s, it was the Age of Enlightenment, scientific discoveries leading to our modern world. If we look at this chart here, we see to the, uh, this sporer minimum was pretty much the Renaissance. So, yeah, here we're just pretty much just seeing that basically the flow of civilization is tied in. To, um, if you want to know about astrology, the whole thing is tied into this, and we're just looking at the sun so far. This is actually um, Ray Tom, Cycles Research Institute. Different types of radiation vary over sunspot cycle, continuous stream of radiation, solar wind arrives at Earth, fluctuations in the stream at Earth affects Earth's geomagnetic field. So anyway, bursts of solar... ray radiation can get the Schumann resonance really ringing. There are oscillations at near multiples of this, 15, 22.5, 30 hertz, and sometimes lower frequencies. So human brainwave frequencies that are commonly studied over the range from about 0.3 to 40 in the Schumann resonance is right in the middle of that range. The brain is largely electrical organ. Outside EM fields can affect the brain by entrainment or in other ways. For example, it's known that can cycle waves will make human reaction times faster, while three-cycle waves will slow it down. Accidents are more frequent when there are strong ELF or ultra-ULF waves such as three cycles, resulting from a slowing down of human reaction times. People are less able to deal with tripping up or sudden events and more likely to have an accident. I'd actually like to read a quote from Tesla here that I found, Alec, just a quote. Alpha waves in the human brain are between six and eight hertz. The wave frequency of the human cavity resonates between 6 and 8 hertz. All biological systems operate in the same frequency range. The human brain's alpha waves function in this range and the electrical resonance of the earth is between 6 and 8 hertz. Thus, our entire biological system, the brain and the earth itself, work on the same frequencies. If we can control that resonant system electronically, we can directly control the entire mental system of mankind. One of my favorite guys, uh, Professor Giorgio Picardi. He was one of the most controversial, significant Italian scientists of the 50s and 60s. So, so what he was working with a precipitation of uh, bismuth oxychloride. Um, so basically, you know, bismuth chloride, water, and you get this bismuth oxychloride precipitate colloidal solution. He timed it <clears throat> over a couple decades, nine years of good data. And when we look at the center chart here, correlation between two different chemical tests, F and D, which is just basically water and then water with the um, surface tension reduced through mercury bulb technology, which is actually old stuff used for descaling, you know, water heaters and things. So, because this is in industrial chemistry, right, in pharmaceutical chemistry, sometimes reactions don't work right, right? And you have complex reactions, you know, with extremely expensive ingredients, and then all of a sudden, things don't work. How come? So... That's what they were investigating, if there was any sort of geocosmic relations. And they did. So they found, you know, basically between solar rotation and um, geomagnetic and solar days, I mean, what we call solar flare days, but also an upper right correlation between blood sedimentation and chemical test P. So what they found too is, is that they were basically doing a blood co- chicken blood coagulation test while they were doing this. And what they found is, is that the solar flaring and geomagnetic activity was also affecting the rate of blood coagulation. So what we find here is this stuff is directly affecting our whole biological system. But what's interesting about this is that when, you know, when they correlated nine years of data, which is what the chart in the upper right is, there was two readings, March and in August, which is six months apart. And they um, were looking at our solar system from the perspective of the galactic center. So basically, in March, the sun's coming up around and pointing towards the galactic center, and that's when it's going its fastest in the whole elliptical cycle, because the sun speeds up and slows down as it goes through the ellipse. At least according to that model. So, at the greatest drop is when the um, sun was pointing right towards the galactic center. So what we find is even not just the solar and you know geomagnetic activity, but actually our relationship the galactic center is also affecting these biological functions, chemical testing, etc.
0: Now, that was highly edited, believe it or not. There is so much more in the actual talk and it is on YouTube. So go check it out there. But you can see the cosmos does have scientifically measurable effects on our planet and on us. Okay, so we've established that the ancient Egyptians were doing it for some reason, that the cosmos is organized and moved by cosmic intelligences, and this cosmic order provides a blueprint of reality, which is critical to understanding the function of magic in human history. And we see that planetary magic relies on cosmic intelligences within a cosmic order who demand to be communicated with in specific ways and who are willing to insult Evas nicely, like in a taliman or a temple, or maybe even a pyramid, or entire Giza complex. And the cosmos does have scientifically measurable effects on our planet and on us. So, are we getting any closer? Now, if you like this podcast, please share it around. And also, if you've not already had a look at Magical Egypt series itself, there are so many great researchers who are sharing stunning information, none the least of which is the late, great John Anthony West, who did so much to open our eyes and expand our paradigm. So check it out. And also, I'm thinking about doing a clubhouse meetup with you guys, with you guys once a month as... What I'm finding is you're all so interesting. And I think if we could all chat together, who knows what we might accomplish. So if you would like to do that, please put a note in the comments, if they exist, because I'm not sure where you're hearing it. Or send me an email at venise V-A-N-E-S-E, at MagicalEgypt, one word, dot com, and I will put you on the invite list. Thank you so much for listening, lovelies, and more soon. Hello lovelies, I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Hekka. Hekka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years.